Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us today, where my colleague Philip Walker and I are today going to discuss some considerations about Julie Mugford. So was she manipulated by the police and the relatives, or was she the master manipulator? Hello, Philip. Thank you for joining me. Hello again, Yvonne. Good to be here again. First thing we're going to look at is Julie Mugford's state of mind in August 1985. And that really, I think, is framed by obviously her relationship with Jeremy, which in her mind was moving towards a more permanent arrangement, i.e. them being married. Um, and that to her was the most important thing in her life at that time. Absolutely. Now, she obviously saw, I mean, she obviously had deep feelings for, for Jeremy anyway, but the fact that he was potentially uh, presented the key to a very nice lifestyle uh, beyond which uh, she'd experienced up to that time in her life uh, was a very key factor in her thinking. Uh, the story of their engagement is indicative of her state of mind, I think. She was absolutely adamant that Jeremy had uh, proposed marriage to her at the end of 1984, despite the fact that uh, she told absolutely nobody about this fact, uh, which you would imagine would be a very major event in her life and something that she'd be very keen to tell her family and friends about. You would, Philip, and I mean, Jeremy's friends all denied that it happened. In fact, they made a joke about it. That's right, because at one social event, Brett Collins mockingly, I think, announced that uh, Jeremy was about to get engaged to Julie. And Jeremy said, absolutely not. <laughs> now, clearly that was must have been a quite embarrassing situation for Julie. Absolutely right. And I'm sure didn't go down well with her for understandable reasons. I think she was also uh, concerned because she found out that... Jeremy had had a one night stand with her best friend um, the previous year. And, you know, did she tell them tales to maybe keep her friend Lizzie Remington away from Jeremy? Did she perhaps think that um, if, if Lizzie Remington believed that Jeremy wasn't had some involvement in these crimes, that, that she wouldn't um, go to him? Well, she wouldn't try to resume their relationship because I'm sure Julie knew mid-August, uh, or even prior to that, that her relationship with Jeremy was um, rocky. Right. The, ro the role of Lizzie, I think, in this uh, whole scenario is quite important. Uh, as you said, Yvonne, she was Julia's best friend. Uh, and the fact that she, in Julia's view, betrayed her with Jeremy must have been a double blow. Uh, the fact that her boyfriend and her best friend had had a fling together must have been a devastating blow to her. And I'm sure you're right that part of the reason she made these stories up to tell Lizzie was partly to deter Lizzie from having a, a closer relationship with Jeremy. Absolutely, I agree with you. But when Lizzie and another friend, Susan Battersby, were told about Julie's assertions that Jeremy's involvement, she was quite adamant, actually, that it wasn't Jeremy, that Jeremy wasn't involved. And that's where the hitman's story evolved. But also Lizzie was saying, go to the police. You've got to tell the police if this is what happened. And every single time Julie Mugford refused to go. 
It was only when Lizzie told her friend Malcolm, who'd been her former boyfriend, who was a lot older, that he took the decision himself to actually ring the police and let them know what Julie had been saying. Yeah, it's hard to know when Lizzie um, and Susan were told this, you know, quite what their reaction was. I mean, if somebody told me something like that, your first re reaction yourself would be to go to the police. Uh, beyond, just, beyond just urging the person who's telling it to you to go to the police. So whether they didn't entirely believe what she was saying is open to question. Uh, but as you pointed out, when they went to... To Malcolm, he obviously being that bit older and a bit more worldly, clearly realised how serious these, these allegations were and instigated the whole process. I think one of the key elements is that she supposedly told her friend Susan Battersby um, on the day that Jeremy had broken up with her, but actually it wasn't. It was days before the relationship had finished, according to their statements. And so that's what makes us believe that this is just make believe by the girls later on that they made that evidence up to make it sound as if Julia had been um, trying to implicate Jeremy beforehand. But um, even so, if it had happened at that time, it's unlikely um, from another perspective because days later, Jeremy was attending Julia's 21st birthday party, which Susan Mattisby was hosting and if she'd have been told by Julie, oh, my boyfriend's a mass murderer who was involved in these killings and he employed a hitman and, he, you know, he, he's involved in murdering his parents and his sister and his nephews. They had a very public row with Susan and Jeremy at the birthday party. Would she have kept quiet? Would she have not said, and I know all about you. I know yeah. what you've been doing, Julie's told me. She didn't say a word. And that's yeah. why it's really unbelievable that we don't believe that these statements happened as they say they happened. We believe that the, the evidence in the statements is backdated to make it look as though um, suspicions or Julie had been going to her friends long before she actually was, at least uh, 10 days before she actually did do. Yes, and I, I think the other element to consider is that having been in effect dumped by Jeremy, she had to give a, an explanation to her friends as, why, as to why that had happened. And I think part of the reason she came up with these stories is to give an explanation and imply that she, Julie, had walked away rather than that Jeremy had ended the relationship. Exactly. Because then, I mean, she gave evidence in statements that she was very possessive of Jeremy. She gave evidence that she was jealous of his relationship with everybody who he was friends with and to the extent where she tried to smother him in bed with a pillow and, and hide his keys so he couldn't go home. And that was three or four days before she went to the police. And it's, I don't know, it's just, she's very, very, strikes me as a very, very possessive character. And she did say to Jeremy, and she admitted it herself, that if she couldn't have him, then nobody could. And she certainly made sure of that, making sure that he went to prison. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, she clearly has a very vivid imagination, uh, not just in the central charges that Jeremy had um, been responsible for the death of all his family, but everything that went around that story. For instance, all her claims about 
the supposed crime spree that Jeremy went on when he uh, <laughs> was travelling in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, she claimed that he'd stolen two Cartier watches, uh, that he'd been running a scam that involved taking diamonds out of people's rings and replacing them with, with uh, glass stones and cashing travellers' checks and saying they were stolen and getting them replaced, all of which was complete and utter rubbish. But the fact she went and provided such detail for all these supposed crimes shows that uh, she really was letting her imagination run away with her. Absolutely. But maybe that was a cover herself for her own crimes because we know that she committed a lot of offences, not only drug offences, but checkbook offences, and she was involved in the caravan park burglary. No matter how much the police downplayed that, and they gave her immunity from prosecution for everything, if she gave Crown evidence, you know, was that the, the, the roller coaster that once she'd given this in a vindictive way to go to the police because she'd been forced to, her hand had been forced by Malcolm Waters ringing them in the first place. So maybe she went along with it, not realising the extent it would escalate. And that once she was in this roller coaster, so to speak, of being questioned. We don't know what happened to her interviews. We don't have any transcripts of her police interviews. They've never been disclosed. And she was being questioned by Detective Sergeant Jones, who was very forceful, as we know in his questioning with Jeremy. So, you know, were they giving her threats? Were they, you know, were they saying to her, it'll be fine, it'll be okay, just tell us everything you know and we'll make sure you're safe and we'll make sure... You're not charged with anything because you've got this career as a teacher going to be happening. You know, yeah, we don't I, know. I, or did they, did they threaten him and say, you will, you will give evidence against Bamba or we will expose your crimes and we will charge you for all your seven, all these checkbook offences? Yeah, I mean, I think that the key time in the whole scenario was that point at which Malcolm phoned the police. That was the real she had the opportunity then to say, oh, I'm not sure about all this. Maybe I misunderstood or, or whatever. Exactly. But once she'd crossed that line and the police, were, she told the story to the police and they were questioning her about it, that really was the point of no return. Because at that stage, as you say, they had several pressure points they could apply to her. Firstly, as you mentioned, her teaching career. Because if she got any type of criminal conviction, her teaching career was over. And that was the law at the time. You couldn't Definitely. get if you had criminal convictions. And as you also pointed out, the crimes that she admitted, the many crimes that she admitted to, and the fact that she, she could have been in prison for those crimes alone. So, exactly. And some of these took place before she even knew Jeremy. I mean, the smuggling drugs from Canada, Jeremy didn't know her at that time. So... They can't be blamed on to Jeremy corrupting her as he tried to do at the trial regarding the checkbook offences. Yeah, so I know for the police, once they got her in their grips, were very, very um, protective over Julie Mumford. I mean, they, they housed her and Lizzie in the police training school. They put them up there for a while. They paid all their expenses. So, so we've yeah, been uh, led to believe she was protected right the way up to the trial and after. Yeah, I mean, she was dependent on the police for her 
you can't describe it as a living because they weren't paying her a wage, but they were meeting all her expenses. And if you're doing that for somebody, it obviously gives you, you know, quite a bit of power over them. And um, I'm sure that came into the equation. And there's another factor as well, Philip, because the relatives, as we all know, were not going to let Jeremy inherit. I mean, he'd been disinherited from his grandmother's will anyway by Uncle Robert. So it, we always believed, and she, they said at the court, that she didn't have conversations with the relatives, that you know they didn't consult together about things. But in 2002, in his interview with the Stoke and Church Police, then Stan Jones admitted that actually they did discuss things together. And that should have been known to the jury that the key prosecution witness was talking to the people who stood to benefit from the estate and one of the key police officers who was determined to have Jeremy charged. And, you know, all those factors taken into consideration, you had a, a substantial number of people all out for the same agenda who were all then consulting together about the different evidence. And it's, it's had the jury known that, I'm sure yeah, it would have right. been very different. Yeah, as you say, there were numerous parties, the police, the relatives and Julie, who all desperately wanted this to be true. They all had a, a, a very obvious reason for wanting it to be true. Um, and I know we've discussed before the feedback loop that you alluded to there, um, whereby um, for instance, on the windows, uh, Anne Eaton was the first person to observe that it was possible to open and close some of the windows without it appearing that they'd been tampered with. Well, that's uh, she, true, and that was in August, Philip. That was before Julie Mugford approached the police. That's right. So she st told Stan Jones about that, and um, she probably also told Julie about it. Now, or subsequently, Stan Jones could have made it evident to Julie during her unrecorded interviews. Yeah, exactly. And, and Stan Jones used this to bolster her credibility. So he, he said, oh, Anne Eaton told me about these windows. Then Julie appears and also says, oh, Jeremy told me about these windows. That's how he got in. And of course, Stan Jones just says, oh, well, she must be telling the truth because, you know, there's no way she'd know that. Yeah, and no record that he discloses to her in the first place or that any of the relatives had because they supposedly weren't discussing things with each other and they were quite yeah. obvious they were. And now with the evidence to prove that they were. And you can so, see that in the way the story gets refined over time as that feedback loop gets more effective and they you know, eventually narrow it down to the story they presented at court. Exactly, because both the relatives and Julie Mugford's evidence. The similarities in the evidence, again, are absolutely astounding to say that they couldn't and weren't um, in conversation together about different issues, that the same amount of money was mentioned, £2,000. They all mentioned the bicycle. They all mentioned the window. They all mentioned the wetsuit. It's just preposterous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's quite obviously you know, been a discussion between either just the relatives and Mugford, but I firmly believe that Stan Jones was present and I firmly believe that Mr Ainsley was present because we know that Mr Ainsley was saying to Anne Eaton 
oh, be careful when they ask you about the blood on, on uh, in the buckets in the kitchen because they'll say you planted it. Well, he shouldn't have been talking to a witness like that. Yeah, undoubtedly that or similar information would have got back to Julia, I'm, I'm sure. And, of course, revealing all the forensic information that was supposed to be confidential to Uncle Robert, who then in turn was telling his family, who then in turn were telling Julie Muckford. So yeah. it, was, it was a spiral of events and a spiral of conversations that just had the result where it seemed that everybody was must have been telling the truth because they were all coming out with the same story. Yeah, except exactly, exactly. that facts prove that wasn't the actual how it happened. It wasn't independent stories. But the other thing is the amount of indulgence they showed towards Julie when, when she came up with these extraordinary stories. Obviously, the main one being the hitman story. I mean, she accused uh, Matthew McDonald of, of murdering five people. Um, and when it turned out that he had an absolutely cast-eye alibi and really had nothing to do with the, the tragedy, they didn't go back to her and say, well, Julie, this hasn't quite worked out in the way you said it did. They, in effect, went back and said, oh, well, never mind, have another go. Yeah, and, exactly. And they, and they did that all down the line, for instance, with the, the supposed crime spree in, in Australia and New Zealand. They didn't say, well, all of this has turned out to be complete rubbish. They just said, oh, okay, well, you know, let, let's carry on with... Um, let's carry on and think of something else. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know... I that, mean, that... you know, I'm firmly of the belief, we know now that in 2002, she tried to implicate Brett Collins in the crimes as well. So potentially, Julie Mugford could have three innocent men yeah. who had no involvement in this tragedy at all in prison cells, because the only reason she did it in 2002 was to prevent Jeremy getting out on his appeal, because the, they had to come up with more, because if Jeremy was to win his appeal, he would be out. And so to prevent that happening, even more things were coming forward. The relatives were coming forward with more evidence. That she, oh, they apparently found him blood in the house, and it, all those years later, and just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the fact she has the infamous distinction of uh, accusing three innocent people of murder uh, is quite extraordinary. And it's just very lucky for Matthew McDonald that he happened to have a, a very strong alibi. Otherwise, he'd have been sitting in the cell next door to Jeremy for the last 36 years. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, as we said earlier, one of, one of the reasons that the police could exert pressure on Julie was because of what uh, basically was her one-woman crime spree. Uh, she was involved in three different types of criminal activity. Uh, the first was smuggling and dealing in drugs. Uh, the second was check fraud. Uh, and then there was the burglary that Jeremy was charged for, but that uh, she wasn't charged for. But even, even the check fraud, Philip, isn't as cut and dry as what the jury... I mean, the jury did get to know about the check fraud, but they were led to believe it was a check fraud. And it certainly wasn't. It was multiple acts of yeah, fraud. Yeah, they, they, were, they were given the impression this was a, a one-off event that somehow could almost be done absentmindedly. But it was far from that. There, there were at least 13 different checks that were passed uh, uh, falsely as part of this overall charge. Um, and you've got to be pretty 
um, pretty brave to do go into a shop and knowingly commit fraud like that, not just once, but th at least 13 times. At least times. 13 times. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, after doing it once, probably you'd think, oh, God, that's it. I'm not doing it again. But it seemed like her confidence must have grown after the first time because she was quite happy and willing to go into all these different shops. Yes. So, I mean, she... check, check guarantee cards in 1985. Think went to fifty pounds limit, so it wasn't like she could get. But then again, things were a lot cheaper than what they are now, so she could have got some quite substantial items from yes, these shops. But as you say, she clearly got the taste for it because doing it at least thirteen times shows that you're you're comfortable doing that. It's almost so as if she was she was enjoying doing it in a way, or else she wouldn't have done it so many times. Yeah, absolutely. So the impression the jury were given that this was a, a one-off, totally out-of-character action was just wrong. And then there was the smuggling of drugs. She, as we know, admitted to smuggling drugs in from Canada uh, and also from Amsterdam as well, where she told the police in detail how she'd done that. Uh, and, a good, and a good part of this smuggling activity was before she met Jeremy, so that there's no question that somehow he'd corrupted her to do this sort of thing, because uh, he hadn't. She'd been quite happy to do it well before she met him. But the police then, was that he had corrupted her. Yeah, that was one of the things Ainsley said in his uh, reasons to the DPP uh, for charging Jeremy, that uh, Julie Mugford was of, basically of good character and had only been corrupted by Jeremy. And he was the one that was the malign influence. Exactly. But then there was the burglary, which, again, the jury were given a misleading impression of, that she acted purely as a reluctant lookout, which was far from the case. Uh, it turned out that, in fact, it had been her that had put her hand through the letterbox of the office to get the key out that Jeremy couldn't reach. Absolutely. Uh, and after the event, she was more than happy to go out and spend the money that they'd taken uh, on meals and various other things so that there was no hint of reluctance or remorse on her part for any of her involvement in that particular act. And I mean, Jeremy said that was to raise um, his concerns about the security issues at the caravan park. And yes, probably he was, you know, he shouldn't have gone out and spent the money, but he did. But she was a willing accomplice in that she was quite happy to go for meals and and let him spend yeah. the money she could have quite easily gone to um june bamber or pamela bowflower and said jeremy took the money from the caravan park but she didn't yeah. yeah she could have gone to any of the relatives and say well it's actually jeremy who did this to show up the security uh, issues at the uh, the caravan park but she didn't she was quite happy it to made silent uh, yeah and of course, the main thing is that Jeremy was charged with that burglary, and quite rightly, because he did do it. But Julie wasn't. And that, that's a serious offence. I mean, that, that alone, leaving aside the check fraud and the drug smuggling, shows that, uh, as I said earlier, basically, she was a one-woman crime wave. But it was apparently one of the first things that in her, you know, obviously in her first statements to the police, she said nothing about any of this. But it is quite apparent that in her disclosed later statements, after she'd given evidence against Jeremy, that 
caravan burglary was actually one of the first things that she brought up in her statements. And it makes me wonder if she was then beginning to doubt whether she should give evidence that Jeremy was involved at all and was just like, oh, well, he did a burglary at the caravan park, but then they coaxed more out of it to implicate him, maybe. Yeah, I mean, they obviously wanted to bolster the story from their side of things. So, yes, I'm sure they encouraged her to give full rein to her imagination. Uh, and she certainly did that. And we all know that from uh, other cases in the past, miscarriage of justice cases, at police interviews weren't the nicest of things. They weren't recorded. Basically, the police could do or say what they wanted. They could even threaten a witness who was who was there giving evidence. I mean, it's well documented. But as we have no record of what happened, we don't know. Yeah. And we're pretty sure that during the 32 meetings that uh, Stan Jones had with Julie before the trial, um, that he at least encouraged her in some of the things she was saying and helped her refine some of the detail. And in fact, we believe there's one statement where he actually wrote the whole thing himself. Um, it does appear that way, doesn't it? Because Jeremy's referred yes. to as, as Jerry in that statement, and nobody, including Julie, ever called him Jerry. No, everybody's called him Jeremy or Jen. Some friends call him Jem and family members, but nobody called him Jerry, apart from Stan Jones. But another yeah. thing that always gets me, Philip, is that Julie said that she was fully aware for over a year that Jeremy had been plotting to murder his family. So he was going to drug them. He was going to set the house on fire and eventually decided he was going to shoot them. And then there was a hitman, and then there were all these different stories. But the thing is, if she'd have known a year about this, if, she, if he had said it and she thought, oh, it's just just saying this is no nothing to it but on that night as she alleges he rang her and said it's tonight or never and then rang her again and said things are going well at the farm really she kept quiet if she'd have had any indication at all had Jeremy been saying for a year that he was going to murder his family if she'd have if he would have rung her that night just after 10 o'clock and said, uh, that, that's it, I'm going to murder my family tonight. I, I've had enough. She, she would have, surely to goodness, she knows there's two small children in that house. You know, surely wouldn't she have rung the farm and made even an anonymous phone call? Why didn't she ring the police and say, you need to get to White House Farm. I can't tell you why, but something's going to happen tonight. Put the phone down. Made an anonymous call, phone call. Instead, she no. said absolutely nothing. Or at the very least, try and persuade Jeremy out of doing it. Well, exactly. Not say to him later on when he rang her after his call from his dad, because we know he got a call from his dad to alert him to things. And as Jeremy said, he rang Julie to notify her. She changed that so that it appeared that Jeremy had said, uh, everything's going at well at the farm. And he said, and she said to him, go back to bed. Really? Plus, she was picked up in the morning by 
officers from the London Police Force who drove her to Essex. And she never once said a word to the police officers in the car. She never once said, oh, I know what's happened and my boyfriend's responsible and I need to tell you all about it and I'm scared. Please take me to a police station. I don't want to go near. No, she never once said that. She was quite happy because she knew, well, she hadn't invented this story in her head at that time. At that time, she was still the future Mrs. Bamba who was going to be yeah. the manner. Absolutely. Only when the relationship ended that all these lies and it was just that was when it came out. Until then, there was nothing. She would have, no woman, you know, would have let their, their partner implicate that they'd done such a horrendous crime as massacre his entire family. And she sits in the back of a police car on the drive to the farm and said not a word. Yeah, it's just absurd. I mean, you would anybody go back to a partner who's just murdered five people knowing that they are the only witness who, or the only confidant who knows the truth of the matter? Of course not. You'd be totally scared that somebody who could do anything like that would have no qualms about harming you. Exactly. Um, or threaten you if you don't stay quiet. There's blah, blah. No, none of that ever happened. She never said any of that happened. So it's like, it just makes no sense whatsoever. Plus as well, you know, it strikes me why she was never charged herself. I know that she, they wanted her to turn Crown evidence and be the key prosecution witness. But this day and age, I mean, even for the burglary, she was never charged. I mean, surely she was an accessory and should have been charged for that because Jeremy was. Surely, you know, in the in these days of joint enterprise and and... She, if she had full awareness of these crimes a year before they were going to be committed, she should have been charged with being an maybe an accessory, maybe, you know, maybe morally she should have said something. Certainly morally she should have said something. But criminally, you know, could she have been held as, as equally as culpable? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. As you say, un under the current joint enterprise legislation, she she'd certainly be culpable. Uh, and and morally, she was definitely culpable. But and going she, back... She was, sorry for that, but she would have served, you know, the same sentence as Jeremy because she could have stopped this happening. And she had full knowledge. And she remained silent for a month. A she month, still, yeah. She was still happy to go for meals with Jeremy. She was still happy to walk about with him. She was happy to go to the funerals with him. She was happy to, you know, go for meals and holidays with him. And she was happy to sleep with him. And would you be if this person had killed five people? She was also happy to... I know happy to, I wouldn't be able to be. She was also happy to cash his checks even after she'd gone and given the police this story. That is very true. That is very true. And even she cashed a check after he was arrested and never thought twice about it. Yeah. But going back to the, the, the initial story she came out with, I mean, some of the scenarios she outlined that supposedly Jeremy had uh, 
be considering to kill his family would, would do credit to Agatha Christie, to be honest. I mean, we've, yeah. we've gone through the whole gamut of ways you can possibly kill people. Fire, poison, shooting. Uh, she didn't hold back in terms of what she said he'd been uh, thinking about. But the trouble with that from her point of view is that when the truth of this comes out, and we strongly think that it will after the CCRC have considered all the new evidence, that makes it very difficult for her to backtrack on this story. Because if she said she'd only known about this shortly before the tragedy, she could claim that Jeremy had told her this in order to scare her away. Because yeah. he wanted to finish with her. However, obviously her story was totally different from that. She was saying that he was planning all these terrible acts he was thinking about uh, committing against his family uh, at the time that supposedly, according to Julie, he was wanting to marry her. So she has no possible defence in saying that he, he was just saying these things for effect to get rid of her uh, because she said this happened over a considerable period of time before the tragedy. Absolutely. She said it was for the last year. So, so, yeah, I mean, so as and when Jeremy is exonerated, which we are convinced he will be because the evidence shows that he should be, uh, Julia is going to find herself in a very difficult situation because there will be no doubt whatsoever that she lied. Absolutely. And she should be brought back and she should be made to ask these questions in the court of law. And she should yeah, be she held accountable for the almost 36 years of a man's life and, and the potential other two men who she could have implicated, but she needs to be held accountable for her actions. I mean, she's given um, television documentary series interviews and she hasn't done so much in recent years, but certainly in the past. So everything that she's ever done, um, particularly the news of the world, which we'll come to in a minute, but she's given multiple media interviews, in each of which she said she'd known for a year, Jeremy was going to kill his family, she knew on the night, and really she should have been charged. If she didn't open her mouth, I mean, she should have been charged. It's it, obviously a lie, obviously a lie, or she would have spoken out sooner, or she wouldn't have waited a month until he finished with her to say this, because she'd be in even more if he had been planning this, like you said before, if Jeremy had said to her, don't say anything because otherwise, you know, I can kill you. Well, to wait till he's actually finished with her, we'll put him in a more vulnerable position than actually still being with him anyway and being with him yeah, 24 yes. 7 like she was. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that brings us on to the other element in the whole scenario, which is the financial side of things, which played a significant role, I think. And as you mentioned, she negotiated this agreement with the News of the World, which paid her £25,000, um, which is a lot of money now, but, even, but then was obviously a, a, an extremely large sum. Uh, and as we understand it, she bought a free bedroom flat in London for that, which nowadays would be equivalent to, I don't know, £500,000. So you're Easily. talking about a month amount of money that would set you up uh, for, for life. But I mean, now, there, she, there lies another lie though, Philip, because she said she didn't sign any agreement or any deal before the trial. Um, you know, because obviously if she had, it would have been contempt of court because to pay a witness to give evidence that is 
going to reap a financial award on conviction because that's the only way the news of the world wanted her story was if Jeremy was found guilty. Now, she said that she didn't negotiate a deal, but looking at the statements of her solicitor, he certainly negotiated the deal on her behalf. Uh, he said to avoid um, approaches by other newspapers, but it was certainly all agreed and signed and sealed well before the trial. But then, like I said, it was only on a guilty verdict that she would be given this. So, and it was for the sum of £25,000. It was a huge amount of money. You know, a student at a university, student, she, she knew her relationship with Jeremy was finished, so that financial aspect of her life had gone and dusted. So it's like, at least she could secure herself some money to set herself up for life. And like you say, she bought a flat and later emigrated to Canada. But it's like even the interview that she gave. I mean, if I was asked to give her an interview for a newspaper because of this, her end of sack my boyfriend had done, and I'd been in trial, a traumatic experience, giving all this evidence. Would you pose in your underwear for the interview for photographs? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. She quite openly posed in her underwear with a smile on her face, not concerned about public opinion. No, because she just pocketed £25,000 for her troubles. got so, even more for the photographs. Who will know? Who will ever know? Yeah, exactly. But the problem well, was, from the defence point of view, is there was supposedly no paper trail for this contract. Uh, the News of the World said that they, quote, couldn't find the relevant document, and therefore it was impossible to prove exactly when she'd signed this agreement, although it was absolutely clear she'd agreed it in principle well before the trial well before and in 2002 she was asked about it for the appeal court though they didn't make her go into the court to give evidence but her excuse was uh, these days i read the small print whereas the word read can be pronounced as read or read you know and we we think that she'd actually read the small print at that time, fully knowing that she'd signed it well before, you know, it was all agreed. I mean, Stan Jones was waiting in a hotel room with her, paid for by the news of the world for the verdict. And the minute that verdict came through, she gave her interview that same day, wearing her provocative underwear and didn't bat an eyelid. And also extracts were shown on, on national TV of her giving part of the story she gave at trial. So that obviously didn't bother her either, the fact she was lying, lied to millions of people. That it was true. By the end, of maybe she talked herself into, but maybe that's the only way she could cope with giving evidence at the trial against Jeremy, knowing that it was all complete fantasy and make-believe and that her old evidence was a pack of lies that the only way she could actually be able to do this in front of a judge, um, you know, in a, in a criminal case, was be to actually start believing herself what she had said. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Psychologically, she felt she'd been terribly hard done by, 
that he deserved what she was doing. Uh, and that squared the circle in her mind, I think. I think so too. And because of the fluctuation of her evidence at the trial, even with regards to the time that Jeremy phoned her, changed from quarter to three to three o'clock to quarter past three to half past three, because she just didn't have a clue what Stan John's time was he needed her to say. So to cover every aspect, she came up with all the times that had been discussed in various statements. So it's just, it's just no, absolutely no credibility whatsoever to any of her evidence. And it's interesting that not another friend or, or witness throughout the case ever, because he wasn't with Julie all the time. I mean, she was in college uh, in London while Jeremy was working on the farm and she only came up to see Jeremy at weekends, not all weekends, but some weekends and in the holidays. But isn't it very strange that Jeremy had a lot of friends, but yet he didn't say anything about this killing his family to any of them. Julie McFord was the only one. It's, it's just bizarre, it's just fantasy. It's all fiction in their head. Yeah, and going back to the news of the world agreement, I mean, it beggars belief that either Julie or her solicitor didn't have a copy of the agreement, which you keep just to ensure the news of the world didn't try and renege on it, if, if, if for no other reason. But of course, neither of them have uh, come forward with the, uh, that document. And oddly enough, the news of the world couldn't find the document either, but you can bet Essex Police will have a copy. You can bet they will have a copy. Yes. So when we get all the disclosure off them, then we'll find the copy and then we'll know yes. for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure the news of the world have kept it under wraps because they would have been, uh, they would have been committing un an offence under the, the checkbook journalism rules. Well, there was actually a court hearing not long after. Uh, I think it was in 1987 where um, it was raised about a number of cases where checkbook journalism have been used and uh, in order to impact on a decision or on the evidence that somebody was giving at a trial and Julie Mugford was actually named in that document. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, well, it is very obvious to any reasonable person that that gave her a clear incentive, aside from all the other reasons, uh, not to tell the truth at all. Exactly. And she's gone on to go to Canada where she got married and have children. And she's um, very high up in schools. So, yeah. you know, it hasn't impacted her life um, in, for the worse. It's impacted her life for the better, because without that £25,000 from the news of the world, she wouldn't have been able to buy a flat, which they have sold for a profit. She certainly wouldn't have been able to have her teaching career had all her crimes been known. So she certainly wouldn't be head of schools in Winnipeg. So it would be interesting if, you know, to know if the schools that she works for actually know of her history and know of her lies and know of her drug abuse and her criminal offences, but she's never been tried in court for them. You know, it's maybe there's nothing that can be done about that, but certainly in the future and when Jeremy is a free man, we, civil cases can be taken out. Yes. Well, I, I, as I said earlier, I think as and when Jeremy is exonerated, there will be no question that because of that, it is provable that she lied. 
and uh, she should definitely be brought back to the UK to be held accountable for that. Yes, she should, and I believe she should be held in the criminal court and questioned in the criminal court for um, contempt and also... Um, perverting the cause of justice? Perverting the cause of justice. Perverting the cause of justice. She should be charged. Absolutely. Yeah, because this wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing. She, she maintained this lying stance for, what, well over a year. But she's from, still maintaining it now, Philip. She's still maintaining well, that's true, it now. Yes. She's had every opportunity to come forward at any stage and say, do you know what? This is what really happened. You know, why did I carry on with this evidence? Because I felt pressured by the police because they were threatening me, because the relatives were threatening me. She could have come forward and said any of that. And she hasn't. She's just carried on living a merry life in Canada. But... You know, the truth always comes out in the end, so... Yes, it does. And there's the other question, which we, we haven't touched on, is whether she received any financial help from the relatives. There is no paper no. trail of evidence of that, but it's interesting that she wasn't working before when she went to the police to give evidence against Jeremy. From that time, she wasn't working at all. She had little part-time jobs. In fact, Jeremy had got her a job at, at that summer at North Malden Growers so she could earn some money while she was doing her studies. And it's interesting that during the time from she went to the police till the time of the trial, she wasn't working. So how she supported herself, we don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, her day-to-day costs were being met by the police in terms of accommodation and food but she was somebody who liked eating out and liked the finer things in life and uh, she had no income to support that exactly so where was that income coming from we can only speculate which is something we don't like to do so no but it's a question that should be asked as and when she is uh, she is held to account absolutely it should absolutely I'm sure that if this was in today's society, that the police would be able to do a lot more investigation regarding whether Julie Mugford was telling the truth or not. Because of course, in 1985, they didn't have, everybody didn't have laptops and tablets and mobile phones. It just wasn't available. And this day and age, they would, I'm certain, check texts or WhatsApp messages or meetings with friends, you know, to, uh, emails to see if Julie had been saying to people, oh, Jeremy's finished from it, I'm devastated, I don't know what I'm going to do, oh, right, I'm going to fit him right up. You know, she could have said that on a text this day and age, and that way the police would have had evidence they could have built against her about uh, how she created a case against Jeremy, but of course in 1985, that technology just didn't exist. So that would have been another way that maybe her lies could have been exposed and and not even got to the trial stage, which it should never have done. Yeah, because in in those days, there was no audit trail, if you like, of of the way her sort of mind was developing, uh, because everything was just verbal and and people didn't record their thoughts and uh, emotions as, as they were going along in the way that they do now. 
Exactly. And if if say mobile phones were about, she could have been, it would have recorded. You know, if the, how many times the police had contacted her, how many phone calls she'd had from the relatives, were her friends encouraging her and saying, oh, go and tell the police, go and tell him this, I never liked him anyway. We don't know, but text would have shown that. So this well, is where modern technology would have would have really benefited Jeremy's case had it been available in 1985. Yeah, and also in terms of the news of the world, there would have been an audit trail as to how the contract with them developed and when it developed. So that would have been much more provable as to when she actually signed that contract. Absolutely, it would have done. So that ends our discussion for today in which we've analysed some of the evidence against Julie Mugford and maybe some of the reasons why she acted like she did and gave the evidence that she did. So my thanks to Philip Walker. My pleasure. I don't think this story's quite come to an end yet. There will be a sequel. Absolutely. I'm sure that there's a lot more to come in the near future. And Philip and I will see you all very soon with another special episode. Bye. Bye.